Thank you, Tim. I just have two quick announcements. One, don't forget your D groups are on Wednesday. Back to your regular groups. Hope you enjoyed the awkwardness, potential awkwardness of the co-ed groups last week. For those of you who don't normally meet with the opposite sex. Uh, the other announcement is straight from our pastor, Mike, who's not here today. Says we have an average, we have on average served 300 households each month with an upwards of 1,000 miles in those households, which is insane. But he says we need a minimum of 10 more volunteers. Service for part of the time is welcome, but we, but we need people to, to, to volunteer. So you can do that by registering through the app. Um, from Friday from 3 o'clock to 5.30 with an arrival time at 2.30 to prepare and get ready is preferable but not mandatory. So we need more people to sign up to help serve as the Lord has been giving us the gift of feeding a lot of people in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty. So if you could please do that and any other announcements, uh, we'll just come to you in an email. To be honest, I'm not really in the mood to give any more announcements. <clears throat> if you are like me, you are emotionally tired. I'm emotionally tired for many reasons, and some of them would not be appropriate to talk about in this context. But I'm just emotionally tired, and I've been this way for a while. On January 26 of 2020, the world was shocked to find out that NBA future Hall of Famer and basketball legend, who will be a legend, Kobe Bryant had died in a helicopter crash. We found out that he was coaching his 13-year-old daughter's basketball team. And that day, he was holding her as, the, you know, as they found the wreckage. They found his body, her body underneath him. He was obviously holding her as the helicopter went down. And that, that death for many was so shocking that the reality of death and our mortality became something that was more prominent. For whatever reason, there's this, this assumption that celebrities are sort of immortal. And when we hear that they die, it's almost as if it catches us off guard. And obviously someone with Kobe Bryant's stature and as young as he was, it caught the country and I would say the world off guard as we began to just think about our own deaths in light of his death. And then COVID came. And once COVID came and the reality, and first we were hearing about the number of deaths in like countries like Italy and then in parts of China, and we were embraced with this reality that it's here in our country, and the fear of death became the, the, a fundamental reality in our nation for both believer and unbeliever alike. And then when that happened, it was in March, was when it became clear that we're not allowed to congregate together because of the fear of catching COVID and the fear of dying from COVID. <clears throat> That's the real issue. If, if it was just getting sick, most people wouldn't have cared. We live with the flu. We live with the cold. We live with, you know, a number of, of really diseases and things that we just go through every year, allergies, all these things. The, the reality of COVID was not that you're going to get sick and you're not going to like it and it's going to be uncomfortable because that happens when you just have a headache. There are people watching and who have stuff like migraines that have to live with that. The reality of COVID is that this is like a flu-like reality that for some people means death. And so the fear of death is what even to this moment has us not gathering together for worship. It's not the fear of getting sick, it's the fear of dying. We began a series on COVID talking about when our theology and our reality meet. And last Easter, I did a sermon called The Fear of Death and the Death of Fear. And it's clear that the Bible talks about death quite a bit. In fact, death is one of the last enemies that will be defeated. In Revelation 20, verse 14, the end is, is, is God clearly just communicates to us that death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So this reality that death is 
going to be a part of our life. It's an enemy that will come to an end, but it still has a significant impact on us. Because if we're honest, the reason why many of us are unwilling to meet, even when we could to some degree, is because we don't want to catch COVID because of the fear that it could lead to death. If there were no deaths related to COVID, we would have probably saw no change in the majority of our country. Death is still a formidable opponent, and Christians are still very afraid of it, despite the fact that verses like Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, like this is what it says about Jesus. One of the, one of the reasons why Jesus came was for this fear of death is, is what Hebrews 2 tells us. It says this, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So God understands, and part of why Jesus came was to free people from the fear of death, not the experience of death or the reality of it, but the fear of it. And yet Christians, many of us, are afraid to die or when people die, we respond a particular way. An article in Relevant Magazine, I thought, was very helpful in describing both the reality and somewhat of a response on this. And I'm going to read a good bit of this article. It's entitled, I'm a Christian. Why am I still so scared of dying? And the article reads this, and I quote, Dear Eddie, I'm, the name, I'm not changing the name, so it was, it was public, so I'm not changing no names. Dear Eddie, I've been a Christian my entire life, and I've always known that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And as much as people talk about how great heaven is, I just can't quite get over a fear of death. It seems like if I really believed in heaven, then, if anything, I'd look forward to death. But it honestly just sounds terrifying. And that makes me feel like I don't really believe what I say I believe. Is it okay for Christians to be afraid of dying? Signed by a man named David. Here's Eddie's response. David, what a great question. As I was reading it, I found myself nodding and thinking, yep, I'm afraid too. And I bet a lot of people join you and I in this fear while also wondering if that fear is in direct opposition to our relationship with Jesus. So let's talk about it. I think the conversation around the fear of death has less to do with fear, but more to do with how we define death. As I see it, there are three different definitions of death that each carry their own theology and psychological profile. The first definition of death is a singular moment when, our, when body function ceases and your physical life on earth has ended. Put more beautifully, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. He said death number two, the definition. When we talk about death, oftentimes we're really talking about dying or the manner of death. This can include old age, disease, accident, or any number of not fun to talk about options. Death number three. There was a kind of death described in scripture as sort of a death of the soul. That is, a succumbing to sin or a turning away from God. This is often referred to spiritual death and is the death that we see used in verses like these. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, from Romans 6.23. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, Colossians 2.13. So David, when you talk about being afraid of death, what definition of death are you using? My guess and the source of your tension is that you're fearing and thinking more about the first or second definition, but hung up on the third one. Because the third definition and the accompanying verses aren't just warnings concerning the consequences of unchecked and unrepentant sin, 
but they also are a beacon of hope, a hope that is found in relationship with Jesus, which you have. This kind of spiritual death is no longer yours to fear. Side note, I am clearly a Calvinist in this regard. Back to the conversation. Some Christians would argue that a fear of death is a lack of trust in God. Here's the problem with that, though. Being afraid of leaving earth or being afraid of dying in an unpleasant way doesn't indicate a lack of faith. It indicates a presence of humanity. Now, I will say a fear of spiritual death is a little concerning for someone who's a follower of Jesus. And if you find yourself fearing this, I'd pray fervently and read everything you can about God's love and grace. But outside of that, death, dying and our time ending on earth is scary, even to Jesus. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, what was Jesus fearing here? Certainly it was not his eternity. Relationship with God, it wasn't that or purpose of dying, purpose for dying. Jesus was afraid of the pain that was to come. He was afraid like any human of dying. Definition number two. Additionally, though, I want to be cautious about reading too much into what Jesus is, isn't thinking. But I wonder if there was a part of him that was going to miss his friends, family and the community that he had built. Maybe not. But that's what makes me afraid of death. We are put on this earth for a reason. If there were no reason, God wouldn't have put us here. He doesn't need us to hang out in this holding pen for 80 plus years. There's room in heaven. But God chose to put us here and to live, live abundantly, live gratefully, live justly and live to accomplish the work of God. Am I afraid of the afterlife? No. But I am just a human, but I am just human enough to be able to fully comprehend heaven and therefore be afraid of saying goodbye to my sweet wife, daughters, friends, home brewing, crisp fall air, laughing so hard I cry, happy little existence that I've eked out? Yes, because this is the heaven I know, and I like getting to live in God's creation. Daniel, there's no need to be afraid of death, but there's reason why you wouldn't be. My encouragement to you is to do all you can to figure out why God has put you on this globe and leave your tomorrows to him. My purpose today is I want to do a brief systematic theology on what the Bible says about death to those who are believers. And I want to remind us that the fear of death is our reality, but the death of fear is our theology. But I also want to prepare us because we have not seen the last of death in this world or in this church. And my goal today, as we look at a few different passages, my goal today is, is not to try to explain what every passage means in context. My goal is to encourage and to be encouraged about what every passage says about believers or to believers when they die. We're going to begin starting with this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 and use this as the basis of a question that we're going to ask all of the other passages that we look at this morning. First Thessalonians 4, 13, Paul was saying this to the church who was discouraged because they had heard things about people who had passed away, loved ones who were believers. And they had heard wrong information and Paul wanted to encourage them. So he says this in First Thessalonians 4, 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So Paul says, listen, we want you to be, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be misinformed. We want to make sure you understand what, what, what's going to happen, or what's happened to those who are asleep, which is just an analogy for our dead. And he says, 
So, and his purpose in that was so you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Now, by the rest, he meant non-believers, non-Christians. So he doesn't say there's no grief. He just says we don't grieve like people who have no hope. So this verse is going to form the basis of a question that we're going to ask. Why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? Why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? We're going to bounce around at a couple of passages. My, my, my role here today, my responsibility is not to try to uh, have a sermon of, of usual length. If, my, if this sermon lasts 20 minutes, it lasts 20 minutes. And there will be no Q&A afterwards. But I just want us to think about some verses. And these are just a few that the New Testament says are pertinent for believers. So when we think about people like our beloved sister Kathy, for those of you who befriended who knew Jason, and other people who have passed away that are believers like Barbara, people that we know and love, and people who will pass away. Why do we not grieve like those who have no hope? The first reason is in Luke 23. An amazing scene is happening. Jesus has been taken into custody he has been falsely accused, and we, all, we know this story. He's been beaten. He's now been crucified, and he's hanging up between two thieves, and an amazing moment of grace happens. Beginning in verse 23, 39 of Luke 23, beginning in verse 39, here's what one of the criminals says to Jesus. Then one of the criminals hanging there yells insults at him, so he's insulting Jesus. And then he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, I don't know who this guy is or what he was thinking, but just on general principle, you don't insult a person that you want to save your life. That just doesn't, that's just already, you just can tell something's wrong with him. Because if this man can save my life, I'm going to say nothing but good things to him. But he insults him and then says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Verse 40, but the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you were undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So here is a man whose only repentance that he can do because he is crucified, hanging there, going to die in a few hours, maybe a day at best. You don't, you don't last long when you die of crucifixion because the way that you're hanging there, your body begins to slump down and it crushes your lungs every breath until you eventually die of suffocation. It's an excruciating pain. So here's a guy whose only repentance is acknowledging that Jesus is innocent and that Jesus is king and has a kingdom awaiting. And all he asked was, will you remember me? And Jesus's response was, today you will be with me in paradise. This can only be fully realized in Revelation 21, verse 7 where the scripture tells us that God says this, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So here Jesus tells a man that today you will be with me in paradise, and God is telling to the one who conquers and by conquers, it just means to the one who perseveres to the end, to the one who believes to the end, not perfectly, not without flaw, not even without seasons of doubt, but in the end, that person, last breath, is someone who believes in Jesus and puts their hope in Jesus. When they take that last breath, no matter how flawed their faith was, that last breath of believing in Jesus, you conquered. And God says, you will eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
So why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? Well, first answer is because we'll be in paradise with God. Paradise. If a thief on the cross who did no works is enjoying paradise with God, then you best believe that our sister Kathy is there in paradise with God, with Barbara, and with Jason. Probably grieving over the fact that we're not there. <laughs> I got them telling, I got Kathy telling stories. People sitting around Kathy laughing and stuff. You know what I'm saying, Cleveland? I got her telling stories and having people laughing about her experiences on earth. And the only sadness she's experiencing is that we're not there with her because she's in paradise. As we grieve her, she's grieving us because we're not there. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to life from the tree. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We don't grieve like those who have no hope because their hope wasn't in Jesus. Their hope isn't in paradise. At best, they're rolling a pair of dice. They're gambling with their eternity. For us, we live in light of that paradise. That's the first reason why Paul tells us, look, don't be uninformed about the brothers and sisters who are asleep so that you will grieve like the rest who have no hope. Uh uh. Let me remind you this morning, I want to remind us of what the Bible says to those of us who are believers, whether it says to us or about us when we die. First, paradise. Second reason why we don't grieve like those who have no hope. John 11, familiar passage for us. I referenced, I alluded to it earlier at the beginning of this, this talk we're doing right now. John 11, you know the scene, Jesus, Lazarus has died. Jesus shows up on the scene. And a conversation ensues between him and Martha. And here's what happens beginning in verse 21 of John 11. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. And the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus explains to Martha, listen. I'm the one who oversees death and rising from the dead. And because I'm the one who determines and who oversees death, death is submitted to me. I am the author of life. Death is under me. And so whoever believes in me, even though he dies in this earth physically, he doesn't really die. In fact, he says, will never die. So he's saying a lot in this passage. He's saying one thing. One, if anyone who believes in me doesn't really die. So in other words, don't think of death as death in the way that the world thinks of it, but it's a transition. It's not really death because the the real death is for those who don't have hope in Christ, which Revelation 20 tells us that there is a second death. It's called the lake of burning fire or sulfur, depending on your translation. Jesus is saying, listen, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. He's not contradicting himself. He's saying God's definition of death is different than yours. 
It's different than ours. Our definition of death is a person's gone. They're not here anymore. They've died. Jesus' definition of death is if they believe in me, man, they're up here living. They're not dead. They live. They just live in a different place. They live with me. He says so in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So you see, the reason why we don't grieve like those who have no hope is that Kathy is not really dead. Jason and Barbara and Marva and anyone that you know that is a believer, whether they were a member of this church or not, if they were a believer, they're not really dead. They're actually more alive than they've ever been because they're in the face and in the presence of their creator. They're in the presence of God. These folks aren't dead at all. Even if Jesus didn't bring Lazarus back from the dead, Lazarus believed in Jesus. Jesus said he loved Lazarus. You see, we don't grieve like those who don't have any hope because they're not actually dead. You see, the Bible doesn't guarantee that people who don't believe in Jesus will see their loved ones again. The Bible doesn't guarantee because outside of Jesus, there is no life, whether it's in this life or in eternity. Life can only be with God. This is why, like in Ephesians 2, it, it talks about when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It wasn't that we were dead. We were alive. I remember all the stuff I did as a non-Christian. It wasn't that I was dead. I just wasn't alive in Jesus. So from God's perspective, I'm dead. Well, if you're not alive in Jesus, even though you're alive here, you're technically dead. And when you die, then you experience that eternal death forever. But when you're in Jesus Christ, even though you're alive now or you die, you're actually alive because he is the one who is life itself. He's the resurrection. He rose himself from the dead and he raises everyone else to be alive with him. This is why we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because we're guaranteed to be with them again. And, we, and it talks about the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11 and 12. Where we see this reality. We're going to see some of the people who we've read about in the Bible. At the transfiguration in Mark 9, Moses and Elijah appeared to Peter and them. And they, they knew instantly it was Moses and Elijah. They didn't have any cameras back then. There was no pictures of Moses and Elijah floating around. But they knew instinctively who those people were. Because there's a, there's a knowing of things that will far exceed what we know right here. Because when you're in live with Jesus and you're a co-heir and you share in some of his inheritance, you share in some of the gift that Jesus is and has. And so they were able to know this is Moses and Elijah without, I highly doubt that Peter was like, hey, how you doing, man? I'm Peter. I'm Moses. I'm Elijah. I don't think that happened. I think they knew, whoa, that's Moses and that's Elijah because that knowledge happens when you're in that spiritual realm. Kathy's probably asking Eve, why did you bite the fruit? I know Kathy's. I got Kathy asking that question. There's probably, Eve probably has the longest line in heaven besides Jesus. Why do we grieve like, don't grieve like those who have no hope? Because one, they're in paradise. And two, they're not really dead. They will never die. We will never die. So as people, if people in our church this year, if someone transitions to be with the Lord, we'll grieve the loss, but not as those who have no hope, because we will see them again. Another reason why we do not grieve as those who have no hope. In Luke 20, Beginning in verse 34, here's what Jesus said in answering a particular question. He said this. Jesus told them, 
The children of this age, meaning in our age, marry and are given in marriage. But those, listen to the language, those who are counted worthy to take part in that age, meaning in eternity. Those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God since they are children of the resurrection. So why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? Well, one, because the people who believe in Jesus are counted worthy to take part in eternity and in the resurrection from the dead. But there's specific identity language here that that helps us, that proves to us, that, that reminds us of what we've been hearing as we realize the Bible is fundamentally about identity. Who do you belong to? Who vouches for you? And we see in this passage these, these, two, these two descriptions of, of believers who were counted worthy to be in eternity. They are called children of God and children of the resurrection. That's a... That's a the greatest identity component that anyone could ever have is to be called children of God or children of the resurrection. Now, remember, most of the passages that I'm reading to you are what Jesus himself has said. As a matter of fact, everything I've read up to this point, besides Paul saying to the Thessalonians that we do not want you to be uninformed so that you don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. Everything is coming directly from Jesus's lips. And he's reminding us of all these things. There's paradise. That you never die if you believe in him, even if you die physically in this life. You see, God's perspective on death is not physical death. It's spiritual. It's eternal death. So you don't die unless you get thrown into the lake of burning fire. Rick Ross and them said you only live once, YOLO. Well, some people are going to die twice. Children of God and children of the resurrection. These are identities given to believers when they transition or when they die in physical form. And they're with God. When I think about the friends that we know and love and people that have had the, been counted worthy to take part in that age. Even though there's some sadness. Momentarily. There is a sense of joy. That they're with the Lord. And there's also a motivation to persevere to the end. It's almost like an added motivation because I want to see them again. You know, just to be honest, just to be transparent with you and be honest. I understand that in my role as pastor, there are going to be many people that I'm pretty much just going to be Pastor Kurt to them. It's impossible for me to have deep relationships with every member of the church. It's impossible. For some people, it's not going to be more than I'm your pastor. But then there are people whom, for however it works out, that I'm just closer to. And they're my friends. And so even though I care about every member of this church and think and, and, and hopeful, pray for, and would be grieved at the loss of any member of this church, there are people that I have deeper relationships that are, that are my friends. And Kathy was my friend. I wasn't just her pastor. She was my friend. We'd meet up and have lunch together or breakfast, and people would look at us like, what is this odd couple? And we didn't care. We'd laugh and eat and talk. I could share my struggles with Kathy. I could tell her what I was going through, helped her with things she was going through. She was my friend. 
there are going to be people in this church who pass away that aren't necessarily my friends, but I still care about them because they're members of this church. But she was my friend. Jason Leidner was my friend. Barbara Sanders was my friend. Their loss comes with a degree of sadness. But when I meditate on passages like this, I smile and I imagine them seeing each other and excited they made it, exploring what things look like until the Lord fully redeems everything. I imagine the colors are more beautiful than anything they've ever seen, that they remember their life on earth together and even know each other even more deeply. There's grief, but not like those who have no hope. Romans 14, which we are on our way there. Paul says this. For none of us lives for himself. And no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's a wonderful passage. For none of us lives for himself. Now he's assuming, now he's making an assumption that this person, he's talking about a believer who is not living for himself, who has a desire to glorify God and actually does things in particular to express that desire so that people see that they want to glorify God. He's saying, look, none of us, if you're a believer, you don't live for yourself because you do things in service to God. You make decisions, you sacrifice. You're not just living for yourself. And when you're a believer, you don't just die for yourself. Then he says in, in verse eight, if we live, we live for the Lord. So we're trying to honor the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't have this other things. We have parents and children and things that we care about. But ultimately, we live for the Lord. And he says, if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? Because we belong to the Lord. Identity statement. We belong to the Lord and we have confidence that those who have gone before us, they belong to the Lord. This is a game changer. You and I, according to God and his word, belong to the one who created everything. The God who the scripture says all things were created through him. Says we belong to him. You know, in our in our day and age, if you have a if you have a relative that's rich and they die and there's a will and you see this all the time in movies or you hear about these stories in real life where people who are related to the person who was rich that died are all contending the will, fighting over it, especially if they didn't get something that they felt like they deserved, even if it's not even someone rich. Like when someone dies and leaves family members there, whatever they have accumulated for them to distribute people typically get offended at what they've received. And what they're fighting over is essentially, I deserve more because of my relationship to this person. There are great movies and TV shows that highlight the reality of this particular kind of greed or this particular selfishness or this particular sadness. Wow, mom left him everything and left me nothing. But the reason why you contend and the reason why there's strife is because you belonged to that person. You were connected with that person. You put in time with that person. 
And now that person has left you nothing, but the scripture tells us that those who belong to the Lord, man, we receive everything. We get a piece of everything because we're co-heirs with Jesus. So we don't have to contend for the will. We just wait for the reward. We belong to the Lord. That phrase is important even before we die, because if we belong to the Lord, this verse, then we should be living for the Lord. One of the amazing things, ironically, about death is that when someone goes, whether it was we knew it because it was a process like cancer or it was sudden like Jason's, one thing that death does for the believer or should do, it should motivate us. It should motivate us to press in more. Because you see, when Kobe Bryant died, it was a shock. It was like, wow. Then when COVID hit, we were worried about our own death. But everything about Kobe Bryant and COVID, it was all out there. It was everywhere else. It was somewhere else. People were dying in other places. But death is coming closer to home. It's at home. I'm not even talking about COVID. COVID is not the, it's, it may be the boogeyman for some of death, but death, COVID has nothing on death itself. So we're not even talking about COVID right now. We're just talking about death has hit home. It's hit home. So it's not just out there anymore. And it's not just COVID that people are dying from. It should press us, remind us to press in. You know how many people go to the doctor to get a checkup and find out, wow, I have cancer. I just thought my back hurt. In a moment's notice. When death comes close to Jesus, we move closer. Why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? Second Timothy 2, 11. He says this, Paul, speaking on behalf of God, he says this. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. Same language. But this language, it, it denotes responsibility. It denotes process. If we died with him, meaning we believe in Jesus, so we're dying to our flesh. Romans 8, 13. For if we mortify the flesh, we will live. If we put to death the deeds of the body, then we will live. So the scripture, Paul's assuming that if we're dying with him, meaning we're resisting sin and resisting the way that we could be because we want to glorify God and do it the way he says we should be. Since we die with him, then we're going to live with him. If we die with him, we're going to live with him. You know, God doesn't forget the little things that we do. He doesn't forget that time you fell in sin again and you were so discouraged and cried out to God and feeling like, man, I'm just evil or I lashed out at my family member and I just feel wit. And we think that God sees that or doesn't see that. Or we, we just think that, man, who am I? But you know who we are in that moment? Think of Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. When the tax collector said he wouldn't even look up, wouldn't even look up and just beat his chest and said, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified that day. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't see the struggles that you and I have and the disappointment even in our own selves. And the re reality that our failure of sin makes us feel hypocritical that we don't even want to beat our chest. We don't even want to read. We don't want to pray. God sees all of that. 
because that grief is given to us by his spirit. That grief belongs to God. That grief that feels the pain of its sinfulness belongs to God. It comes from God. It makes us belong to God. And that's why he said those people are the ones that are justified. So as we are dying with him, even though we're struggling with our sin, that's evidence that we belong to God. So why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul, again, says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, reserved for me, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Listen to what he said. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, he's at the end of his life. And he's like, I still believe. All the stuff I went through, all the disappointment, all of the physical and emotional and spiritual challenges that I went through, I still believe. I kept the faith to the end. And he says, a crown of righteousness is coming, not just to me, but to all who loved his appearing. Kathy fought a good fight. She finished the race. She kept the faith. And she, like Paul, will receive a crown of righteousness because she loved his appearing. If any of us, even if it was just one conversation, with Kathy, you were encouraged to trust the Lord. So, what are we grieving? He didn't say that we don't grieve. He just said, like those who have no hope. So what are we grieving? Just one thing, just the loss of relationship. The things that you won't get to enjoy with that person anymore. This morning I was thinking of stories that me and Kathy, would, she would just be telling me these stories. I'd just be dying laughing in restaurants. And first watch, that was our joint up in Bowie. And I would just be laughing because Kathy would make you feel like you understood how she felt even though you weren't even there. She's a great storyteller. And I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to enjoy that anymore. So now I have to live in the memory of that. We grieve over the loss of that relationship, the, the things that we can't experience anymore. I remember when Barbara passed, I remember thinking, man, she's not going to get to experience her grandchildren That's what we lose. When I thought about Jason, I thought, man, he's not going to experience his daughter getting married one day and, and being able to, to put a guy through the ringer to marry his daughter. See, what many of y'all might not know is Jason had guns. 
And so I remember being at his house. He let me borrow one for a rap promo a couple of years ago. And I remember us talking. He was like, oh, man, I can't wait to meet the dude who wants to marry my daughter. He was going to open the door and have that joint pointed, like, come on in. And I thought, man, he's not going to get to experience that. But you know what, though? All of their experiences are better. And, you know, God in his kindness may let them experience it in a way that we have yet to understand or appreciate. But we grieve the loss of relationship. The things that we wish we should, we would have said to that person or that we can't say anymore, the things we can't ask them anymore. You know, we're not Catholics. We don't pray to saints. I'm not sitting there asking Cassie to put in a good word for me to the Lord. Nah, the Lord said, man, I died on the cross. You can ask me directly. So we grieve the loss of relationship. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Why? Because we know that we'll see them again. And that that relationship that began here will continue in eternity. Me and Barbara used to go to this seafood spot over there uh, uh, in Lanham. We sit in this little corner and we just eat shrimp and talk. And that shrimp was all right. But I intend, if the Lord wills it, to eat shrimp with her again. And I know that shrimp going to be all right, Cleveland, huh? We ain't going to be worried about no flies or nothing. Huh? Barbara ain't <laughs> flies. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. Barbara put me hip because I used to just be like, man, if a fly landed on my food, whatever. And then one day I was eating with Barbara and the fly landed on my food. She said, Curtis, you can't eat that. She said, I said, Barbara's a fly. She said, she broke it down. All of the germs that flies have. I said, can I get a new plate? I ordered another plate. Oh, I miss her. I miss her, Cleveland. I know you do. I miss her, man. But I'll see her again. So tears may fall down my face. But joy rings true in my heart. Lastly, why we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. And I quote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the, pre the, pre the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Implication, daughter. This is why we do not grieve like those who have no hope. These tears, death, grief, he said, I'm taking all that away. That's all gone. So not only do we have hope to see those that, have, that we miss in the Lord again, we have hope that we're never going to feel like this again. I'm never going to feel like this again once I'm with him because he said, I'm taking all of that away. And the new heaven, the new earth, this grief and stuff is gone. So I experience it now, but I will not experience it later. Neither will you. So we do not grieve as those who have no hope because they are in paradise. 
because they never really died. Because they are children of the resurrection, children of God. Because they belong to the Lord. Because they live with the Lord. Because they have a crown of righteousness for finishing in the race, keeping the faith. And so they'll be in Revelation 21, all of us together, not even thinking about the grief that we're experiencing today. May this be what we are aware of for those of us who we grieve for now. And because death is not finished, may these verses remind us as we process those who believe, particularly those who believe, their deaths in the near future or distant future for his glory and our good. Let me pray. Father, I just, I, I just thank you for your word. And there's many other verses that I could have brought out that I didn't even, you just didn't lead me to those verses. I didn't feel like I needed to bring out all of them. And even today you had me say things that just came from you. I thank you that your word is, is, is you take seriously reminding us in your word of our identity and our destination. And so we do grieve the loss of relationship. I mean, you, Jesus, you wept when you saw Lazarus and the, 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 you saw the weeping of people who loved Lazarus that you loved. You also wept, even though you knew you were going to bring them back to life. So that, that experience of emotion, that experience of sadness and of grief, you, you also, Jesus, allowed yourself to experience that, even though you knew in a moment's notice you were going to change that grief to an incredible joy because you were going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Well, you know that we don't, we don't expect that. We're not expecting to see a resurrection that in this side of life. So we await until you bring us home or you return. And in that process, in this, there will be some grief. There will be some tears momentarily at least. Father, we lift up the Rogers family, the Leidner family, but particularly Kathy, because it's just, it just is just happening. And this is, we lift up the family, Lord, and we, we pray that you would give them a, a, a grace, a covering, Lord. Just, just remind them of what, we heard, what, they, what, what, what was said today, whether they listened or not. Remind them, Lord, of the truth of her destination as they celebrate her life this afternoon. Lord, give them the strength to speak and, and to laugh and to remember and to love. And, and Lord, I pray against, I pray against condemnation or regret. Whenever we lose someone close to us, we always think of things that we should or may have said or wish we could have said differently or didn't say I love you enough or didn't all these types of things, Lord, we can sometimes meditate on those and, and cause a condemnation. I pray that you would prevent that, that they would just be able to, as a family, celebrate our life. And I thank you, Lord, lastly, for the privilege of, as, as we say in our culture today, give them their flowers while they're still alive. Thank you that even though I wasn't able, I wasn't there in some of the moments of her last moments, I spent many, of, many moments with her and was encouraged and encouraged by her and was able to encourage her. I thank you for that friendship. I am not the same person because of her. And there were times she encouraged me just when I needed it, and you knew that. There were times she encouraged my wife just when she needed it, and you knew that. I thank you for the role she's played in our marriage. We needed her. And you graciously let us have her for a season. And now you're rewarding her because she's with you. So while we're still in this season, may we remember her fondly, but may we imitate her faith by pressing in, keeping the faith, persevering, trusting you, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
no questions today. Please don't forget to register through the app to, so we can continue to serve, let's continue to press in. And we grieve like those who have hope, not those who don't. We'll see you Wednesday night at the beginning of going to D groups. Love you guys till we see each other again, Lord willing.